have a super special one here that uh, has been in the in the uh, cooking cooking room for a while. Um, we have the one and only Smoke and John Rhodes. Thank you for being on, sir. Mike, so kind of you to get up so early in the morning, and uh, you know, also kind to invite me on your program. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever listened to a podcast before? No, I haven't. But this is going to be a bit of a history lesson, I'm afraid. But <laughs> I'm I'm very proud of being one of the first to enhance the Mini from being a shopping trolley to a racing car, which is racing now 60 years on. Filling the crowds, giving them lots and lots of fun still. That's pretty good. Now, the uh, I only raced professionally. Now, I'm being pompous here. I'm being paid to drive for 10 years. It sounds like a long time. But five years I drove single-seaters, which got me into the minis, and the minutes for the last, next five. So I have to obviously talk a little about single seaters. Of course, I would love to. Now, I must start by saying um, John Cooper, he was known for his Formula One successes, but I know for a fact that he was a pioneer of two racing cars that were affordable. Now, you asked me to say or tell you how it all began. Well, Model T, in your country, Model T Fords, you probably don't remember because you're all, far, I, I'm old, you're all far too young, but they must have been in scrapyards and you could have picked them up for about few dollars. The same thing happened in this country. We had Austin Sevens, and you could pick those up for £10, and they're perfectly good cars. In fact, they're so good, they're racing around Brands Hatch and doing over 100 miles an hour. Now, because of the steels are far better, the crankshafts are made of steel, and they're still going around now. But I had, I bought my, my saved up for my I used it to tow my racing motorbike. When I say racing, it was just an ordinary motorbike with everything taken off it. And grass track racing in our country was the top sport. And we used to race around grass fields. And um, my father thought, my lad's doing all right. I'll buy the championships motorbike. Again, not very expensive. But when we took it home it was absolutely scrapped so uh, we learned a hard way that never buy a car or a motorbike that's just finished a championship because it would never have done one more lap <laughs> well, then I had to do something to earn a living so I'm crazy about cars so I became a, an apprentice mechanic at the Ford distributorship. 
and uh, that's the finest sort of uh, experience you can have. People are shouting at you all the time, and you have to do everything within a certain time. So at the end of your apprenticeship, you're pretty switched on as a motor mechanic. Then, of course, after all that shouting, I had national service. We all had to do two years in the army. So there I was, sort of got into the tanks corps, driving a tank, and then they took us over to Palestine, which is a very hot country. So I applied to become a motor uh, dispatch rider, and you can't believe it, but I got the job. So we were sort of, uh, you know, sort of racing around the, uh, um, the, the sort of sand dunes, shall we say. Now, right. I'm doing the national service, and um, I, I, I had a dream, and my dream was to have or to build what I knew as a proper racing car. That's it. And it's a Bugatti. It's got exhaust pipes coming out of a very long bonnet with a, a, a pointed tail. So. I started to build a silhouette of that shape. And I got married and we bought a house, but I insisted on, well, we had a, a double garage. So. As one should. Um, <laughs> so, just a minute. Um, oh, that, that's right. Because I used this double garage, which is totally illegal, to work on cars. And I had lots of friends and lots of business. And uh, one particular gentleman uh, with a beautiful bright red Mark II Jaguar with chrome wheels had a lovely young daughter. And she lived in the house in the big house uh, behind the garage, would bring me cups of tea. Well, remember that phrase, because it's quite important for later. Okay. Now, things were going so well, I thought uh, I rented a building in the local uh, airport. And I had one mechanic and myself. I was getting my hands dirty all the time. And a secretary we used was a very young girl who lived in the local post office. Um, uh, telephone exchange. Telephone exchange. Telephone exchange. And you're so lucky in these days because all you have to do, you've got a mobile phone, you talk to anybody straight away. It took us to get in touch with anybody. And this exchange, you have this young girl taking mine, if, if, if I wanted to get through to anywhere, she, she would put a plug in and transfer the message to whoever it had to be. Well, I was getting inquiries for business when I wasn't at home. We hadn't got a telephone in the, in the building I'd rented. 
so she used to be my secretary in the telephone exchange, transferring all my inquiries to me when she got home, which was a wonderful setup. So, you know, I was getting older and I still got the desire to, to race motor cars. And out of the blue, a friend of mine, he said, look, John, he said, would you like to do the international rally in an Aston Martin, DB2 Aston Martin? Of course. So we entered this rally and, uh, of course, following uh, Sir Sterling Moss's sister, who was an ace racing driver, he lost control, went through a hedge and crossed the ditch. And marshals were jumping up and down on this Aston Martin bonnet to get the wheels free. We got the car back to my workshop, got it going again, and returned to enter the rally the next morning, all clean shaven, and all the rally drivers were, were looking really scruffy. Could we possibly uh, re-enter? And they said, all right, John, you can, but you have got to start at the back. And of course, we had five race tracks to use on this rally for rally drivers to compete in. And I started at the back and won every one. Now, the last one, the leaders of this rally said, John, John, come on. He said, you, 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 you're making us look silly. Um, will you let us through and, and let us win the last one? I said, oh, of course I will. Yeah. Mention it to the owner of the car. He would have none of it at all. So I had to fly past uh, and win. And of course, I never had any Christmas cards from them since. <laughs> now, I was still sort of hankering after uh, racing the cars. And I was in the pub, as you are, as, as fairly young people, not that young, with a friend of mine. Who, at this time. A friend of mine. How old were you at this time? Oh, I was 26, I suppose. 26, 26 okay, so years old. Okay. A friend okay. of mine studying to be an, 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 um, a chartered accountant. And a good friend of ours, a doctor, walked in. How are you, chaps? And how are you doing? And my friend said, I'm, you know, feeling a bit rough. So I just... Getting a bit hard. Take on the sport, he said. Well, I'd read in the magazine, Porto Sport was the magazine to have, that John Cooper was actually making a kit car, kit racing car, for £1,300. Well, that was a lot of money in those days, but not a lot of money to this friend because his father was chairman of Brittle a big factory making tools for car manufacturers and so on. So got the £1,300, went upstairs to John Cooper's office in Surbiton. Johnny John Cooper, really great fun. He's one of the lads. And he was thrilled a bit, so we were going to buy one of his kit cars. Got it home, built it in the garage, of course, put some petrol in. It would be rude not to try it out. So shot round the streets, the local streets, and straight through exhaust and single-seater, got back home and hid. Well, first race, this friend of mine 
never ever again he said never again 30 cars whizzing around it's the car is all yours well i jumped jim clark's team uh drivers lotus at mallory park now mallory park is a must if you're in this country to go to it's so pretty and there's a little lake and the racing there is fantastic well i jumped this lotus and uh, he kept i kept him at bay for about two laps and after the meeting he said johnny said he did well he said but i was just waiting for that big accident but that put me in the autosport magazine which is what i was after all the time then I went to Prescott, which is again a place that you have got to visit. It's so pretty in this country. There's a speed hill climb, and I took my car up absolutely all over the place, sideways, and I couldn't cope with it. So a world champion who was there, hill climb champion, I asked him what was what. He said, well, what pressures have you got in your tyres? I said, racing pressure. Drop them right down, he said, which I did. I broke the record. So again, <laughs> I was in the Autosport magazine, which was fantastic. Now, where are we? Sorry about this. but uh, No, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. You asked me, Mike. Okay. Yeah. Don't have doubt that say now. That um what was your favorite car? I had to say with the most starting money. Simple as that. Then you said, what did you do before you got into racing? Oh my word, you've asked now. Six nineteen sixty five I was servicing cars in the airport and uh I had this one mechanic and I told you we had this lovely girl from the exchange as a, as a secretary. So things were going so well because I'd done well. I was getting phone calls. Would you race my car? So I had single seaters every weekend to race and being paid for. This is where my professional sort of side came in. I've been paid to race, race cars. And during the week, I get my hands dirty in the building at uh, the, the airport. Uh, now, so I was racing in Ireland and I actually won the Northern and Southern Championship in a Cooper that was loaned to me. And during this uh, few weekends that I was in Ireland, I was racing down the straight with this guy next to me, flat out, absolutely flat out, into a slight left-hand bend, into a village called Dumboyne, which was full of lampposts, and goodness knows what you did not want to hit. And there we were, hurtling down, side by side, and for, thank goodness, this chap lifted first. So I got round, 
And that guy was the unknown Paddy Hopkirk. So that's the first time oh. I met Paddy Hopkirk. Um, did, did you tell Paddy never lift? I, I never, funny enough, I, I didn't. Uh, we sort of parted, because I raced with him many times in minutes, but ne that never, it stuck in my mind, as I remember it now, to tell you. So it, it was really a scary experience. And thank goodness he did lift, otherwise we'd have both had a big accident. <laughs> I could imagine. Now, uh, I was driving a variety of racing, all single-seaters, and I had the opportunity of driving Formula One Cooper. This guy had two Formula One Coopers, and I was driving the one, and I happened to uh, get the record for beating the 100 miles an hour record at Goodwood. And I had a, a lovely uh, trophy, this, this is the trophy, a Goodwood ton, it's called. And I'm proud of this because Sterling Moss was asked about his life story. And what about trophies? Which do are you most fond of? He said, the Goodwood ton. So I'm even more proud of that now. So that trophy was from beating a hundred miles an hour on on Plus, the track. Is that we? Average. The average. The average over a oh, hundred. Wow. Average. Wow! 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 So Mossy had done it. I, I, you know, it was quite a feat and not a particularly new Formula One car. Now, anyway, yes. I was also entered into the Grand Prix for Silverstone in 1965, which I'm, very, I'm proud of because to A, it, you're, you're proud that you've been invited to a start. Then you have to qualify. And the qualifying, you can imagine, is very tough. And I managed to qualify, so I was in the Grand Prix. But I can talk about that later. The car broke down, but it was... Very, very thrilling. Now, after that, I went to Sicily with the same car to enter a race at Enna. There's a racetrack which went around a, a lake, and we had speedboats and people waiting to collect you if you happened to crash into the lake. Well, I was flat out. The other so the other side of the, ray, the lake, the chassis fractured, and it took me left straight into all the bushes and trees, and goodness knows what. I was stuck in the car, very badly bruised. Got out, or was lifted out. And I had to get a branch out of a hedge to enable me to walk at all. And I had to race the next day to get the starting money. Well, they feverishly got the car repaired, new wishbones, and the wheels were all right. And there I was with this car I didn't trust. And I actually started the next day, the next race, and it did the same thing again, but I was ready for it. 
and I retired the car, but we got the starting money. Now, when that car, after the car, uh, well, that was it. But I was also invited to drive, which is a tremendous, I'm so proud of, to team up with Jackie Stewart in his team. And we raced together at Alby and again at Zandvoort. So that was, in my mind, the best thing that ever happened to me. In the meantime, they'd repaired this Cooper and I was testing it at Swarmstone. And the works, minutes of the resplendent in their dark green and white roofs. I had got to know the team manager very well because having worked at Surbiton, building and repairing various cars for some people that I'd loaned from. And uh, I said, could I have a go? Now, he would never let anyone near his cars. He said, okay. So I jumped in. Now, having raced so many single-seaters of different types, good and bad, I had the instinct to know exactly what a car would do. I was, it was built into me. So taking this Mini, works Mini, around for the first lap, I got to know it straight away. And I knew the brakes didn't break. Not as I would like. <laughs> yeah. So what I did, and I'm going to read this because it all happens in a split second, but I'd go flat out past the normal braking uh, point, flick steering into the corner, lifting the throttle, the car would oversteer, starting to spin, slowing the car, full throttle, pulling the car round the corner in a drift, surrounded by lots of tyre smoke. So this is why John Cooper called me Smoking Roads. And that's how I, I was immediately invited to join for the next year. And the only reason I could drive it like that is because of a limited slip in the front axle. Now, if you have a limited slip in the axle of a rear wheel drive car, you can steer the car purely and simply by spinning the rear wheels. This is why drifting in your country and our country has become so popular. You just, uh, right. as long as you have the power, as long as you don't spin the wheels, you can do whatever you like by steering the car with back wheels. And that was what I was doing with the Mini. But I had this retainer, money in my pocket. Well, I did a foolish thing. I rented a BP station with petrol pumps. I didn't need passing tra trade. I got enough trade, but I had the workshops. And as time went by, it was useful because as I was racing a Mini, we began to sell um, parts. 
special parts for minis and that was going very well but I lost my main mechanic as a salesman I had to employ two other mechanics and my wonderful secretary from the telephone exchange decided she wanted to become a midwife and I had to employ two girls to do the job she was doing so you can get the picture as things were going along but I was racing for John Cooper in his works mini team and it was run on Formula One sort of not pressures but sheer um, it, it was the Formula One men mentality whatever wanted doing would be done immediately without question and all the people working there did not do it for money they did it for job satisfaction so you had people working for you 110 percent so 1965 season was bliss because we had Ford Anglias and we were on a par with them so for two seasons we were absolutely flat out together and uh, we never touched each other you know it was it was hard racing tremendous spect very spectacular but we never ever hit any each other it was really professional one day I was beaten by this easily by this uh, Ford Anglia and team manager said Johnny said didn't sound right so he put a protest in and what they'd done they'd put uh, steel caps on the main bearings which uh, normally would break over a certain rev and they they got another thousand fifteen hundred revs so they were disqualified so they didn't actually win that race wow now i raced who oh, comes just about everywhere um i actually won a race outright at silverstone in a mini against uh camaros ford cortinas lotuses and everything you know outright but they put a protest i jumped the start well my manager was next to me and he said i did not jump the start but they i think they were rather embarrassed that a mini had beaten all these cars so that didn't go down terribly well we went to yugoslavia um to to race and uh, the cars were put away and they came out and where they'd been put away completely stripped of all the graphics so we raced that race with plain cars with no windscreen wipers anything that was loose had been stolen off them going like a rocket the cars then were injection needed a very high powered fuel pump so taking a lot of electricity and within literally two laps to go my car stopped 
So I, a bit disappointed, but I said, Where, where's my teammate? Flew him straight home, they said. He got lost control, ran over a policeman, so I thought it'd be better to get rid of him straight away. So that was a very <laughs> unsuccessful meeting. Um, now, the Nürburgring, I, again, other drivers helped you a lot. They didn't keep it to themselves. And it was literally the first time I'd raced at Nürburgring. And it was only a country lane. We're talking, we're going back to the 60s. And box edges were the only protection you got either side. So you drove between them. Now, there was a village. Um, oh, uh, forget the name of it. But you had about a mile of s going into it downhill and chap took me out he said look he said hit the hedges on the left he said hit the levers on the right and do that all the way down and it's almost straight i saved an enormous amount of time from others going down that particular section but of course you could beat 911 porsches down, you know on most of the nurburgring and loaded as anything you could beat in a Mini Cooper, a good Mini Cooper, because of the handling. But then you had an enormous straight at the end of it. So all the work you put into getting fairly well up, you lost the lot going down that straight. So the Nürburgring was never really kind to Minis due to that long straight. Otherwise, it was sensational. I never right. really thought uh, about uh, minis racing on the Nurburgring. Hmm? What was that one? I never really thought about. I never really thought about minis racing on the Nurburgring. I mean, I well, guess the Nurburgring then. I, I, the Nurburgring then was suitable for a small car because it was a very uh, narrow track. In fact, the Formula One uh, would they would not drive it anymore. They stopped. Right. They wouldn't drive on yeah. it. It's too dangerous. But it's very bumpy as well. So you, you, you take off regularly. Now, John Cooper was a super guy, but also a bit harsh if anything went wrong. Uh, the first time, if you crashed the first time, He'd be very concerned. Second time, not so concerned. The third time, you're lucky to keep the job. Well, I was lucky not to have too many accidents. But at, at uh, another circuit called Alton Park, um, I was racing against the Lotus. They have been so useful to me during my life racing because my team manager would always get me onto the line first for testing and I could always go round the first lap the second I put up a jolly good time and they put the car away 
So that applied to the racing as well as testing. And uh, I came coming back to this Alton Park. As I say, the Lotus were very kind to me, but with good drivers. You could, at the start of a race, I could always put up this good time, get my Mini on the front of the, all the other Minis behind the Lotus. And the Lotus would pull me for the first two laps away from the crowd. That was after my blood. And Jens would say, my team manager would say, John, he said, you get far four seconds from that every every time you start. So that was a tremendous leeway, four seconds, almost every start I had. Then of course I had the I used to wear my tires out in no time at all. So that four seconds was very very useful towards the end of a, a race. But again, coming back to this Lotus, as he was racing against me at Altenbach. And part of the track they do not use anymore goes by the side of a lake. And he overtook me, which was impossible because even a good Lotus driver would have a job to, to overtake me at my peak. And of course he hit me and overturned me. So I went upside down, him towards this lake. I missed the lake by, by inches because this was a, an accident that uh, John Cooper understood and accepted, and he was furious with the Lotus bloke, not me. Another time, wow. I was racing at uh, um, Hamilton Park, and, and a tire burst. In fact, Dunlops were having fits because. I was, they were using 50 pound pressure in my tyres and I was going up to 120 degrees. You could boil an egg on the tyres and they were expecting to burst at any time, which they did on this time. And that was a big crash. And again, John Cooper allowed that as a, a genuine accident. So I got away with that one as well. But we went from wonderful racing against Anglias after two seasons to having to use hydroelastic uh, suspension, which was a nightmare because when you accelerated, the fluid would go to the back, you, to the to the back, and it'd be like a speedboat, impossible to control. So that took a lot of sorting out. We had larger wheels, <clears throat> excuse me. So we hadn't got the tire problem anymore, but didn't suit my driving quite as well as it used to be. We had from the 10 inch wheels to the 12 inch wheel, which again made the car in the end faster and it, it had to be because Ford had then brought in the Escort, the Ford Escort, and that really was a nightmare because they had far too far more rubber on their wheels than we had. So 
they were very, very difficult to uh, to beat. And very often they beat us. So it wasn't a piece of cake anymore. It was very, very much more difficult. And then we had fuel injection as well. Everything was getting faster and more difficult. Not only that, I had a new team uh, driver. The previous team driver was wonderful because he worked, he worked to the rule of being a team driver. This guy, I don't know whether you you follow Formula One. I do because that's why I've got this bracelet, a red book, a red bull colour. Uh, cars that are racing in Formula One, winning with Ben um, Verstappen. He's my main driver at the moment. But he has a teammate. Uh -oh. You may not agree, and most people don't, but this team guy doesn't seem to think, and even, he wants to be number one. That doesn't work in a team. And I can see Verstappen having to push. He's, he, he won't beat Verstappen, but Verstappen has to push the car to the extent that both of them will not win that championship this year. So that is my main current um, annoying uh, we, we could have a whole nother conversation about that later. <laughs> <clears throat> now look, we were doing 26 races a year and also the European Cup. Now that cup is that one there. I don't know whether you can see it. It's just in the edge of the picture, I yeah, think. Yeah, I can yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. And awesome, awesome trophy. That, to my mind, is another. I'm so proud of that because it's for 1600 cc cars. And I was only in 1300 and I won the trophy, which again was due to the fact that. <laughs> You know, it it was preparation of the car. You know, I knew it backwards, and we won the trophy. Proud of it. So, John Cooper could see the end. The escorts were getting faster and faster, getting more and more difficult. So he thought, well, this is the end. We won't do anymore. We retire. So retired. So I was out of a job. Now the Abington Race Department got hold of me. They paid me twice the retainer that Cooper paid me, which wasn't a lot in this day and age, but a lot in that time of the year. So I went from the green cars to the red and white. Now, all you rally enthusiasts will be thrilled to bits because this was Paddy's pat patch. But they were Mark II Cooper Works team. They acted in exactly the same way. Not paid a lot, but they were absolutely uh, dedicated to what they did and they were proud of what they were doing. So nothing 
was too much for them to do for you at any time. But also, they deviated from minis to healers, uh, MGs, apart from their Healy race team, which was very good. I did all right, but the days of the mini were passing very quickly, and I did as well as I possibly could for Abingdon race team, but even better for the Healy, because years, a couple of years before, I would be a yardstick for um, Donald Healy for anyone to race Healy cars, his car Healy's. And uh, what I had to do is put up a, a time, and he had six potential hot shoes to jump into my streets or anybody else's. They do the first lap, they come in, he'd open the bonnet, check the oil, off we go again for the next one. Do the same again, open the bonnet, check the dipstick, check the oil, do this six times, and what he got was a rev counter under the bonnet. They'd all been told to keep within a certain rev limit. Well, of course, fortunately, he never checked the rev limit I'd used to get my, my lap. <laughs> but then, of course, I was invited to drive one of his Heelys at Le Mans. Well, a little car like a Healy was a bit of a you know, shock for me at Le Mans because you're doing in his car, which was a super frog ice sprite with a very slippery body on it, um, with a five-speed gearbox. And it would actually, it was timed down the Balsan Strait with 148 miles an hour. Well, wow. the, guy I, well, the guy I was with said, look, this is dangerous. I want a smaller steering wheel and I want a panel rod to, to stop us moving when we're overtaken at 210 miles an hour. Fighting the car at that sort of speed. No, you stick with what you've got. That was Donald Healy, you know. But um, we won the class, only because the guy I was with uh, insisted that uh, when we arrived there, the motel, it was a canvas motel with every facility you could possibly wish for in it. And of course, out of that hotel, you've got fairs going on, all sorts of fun and games. And this guy would have none of it. He said, we are staying where we are. We are not moving, you see. I was a bit miffed, but wasn't he so right? They got um, sleeping rooms. And when you'd done your two years, two hours stint, you'd immediately go to bed if you wanted to. And in, within two hours, you're woken up by a steward or a stewardess. It, you're on now, and you're back on the track. Well, at three o'clock in the morning, you would 
it was really hard. Unfortunately, this guy being hard on me to stay where I was, was the answer to us winning that class um, for that particular vehicle. Proud of that one. I must say the following year uh, wasn't the same. We had a fairly uh, fun guy as my teammate and we didn't do anything we should have done. Unfortunately, at three o'clock in the morning, he blew the car up. Otherwise, I think I'd have been blown up. So there was no We've got the MG racing at the Targa Floria. And uh, Paddy was driving a similar car. And I said to Paddy, it's 48 miles. How on earth do you possibly sort of learn the corners on 48 miles? John said, you don't, he said, but if you see two parallel black lines, knock it off, put the brakes on quick. And that saved quite a few accidents. You took notice of black marks and took the corner, you know, fairly gently. But uh, we won the class on that as well, which was... Good for the Abingdon crowd. They loved it. Now, so were you saying Patty was racing with you on the Abington team? Is that what? Oh yes, what yes. Races were. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how long was that for? I think four laps. Four laps. So worth wow. the time. Forty-eight miles. Four times 48. Wow. Working out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone do that map. <laughs> now, um, we did Rallycross as well, which was a very, very popular sport. It was televised. They had one camera, televised the whole lot. And it was four laps. And four of you would start in line and you had to win within four laps. So it was lethal, but not only that, um, it was, the television was fitted in between the horse racing. So in between one horse race and the next, we'd have a rallycross. Well, we'd be on the line revving up, rev, 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 you know, ready to go. Adrenaline on the high, flag was hot. No, horses haven't finished yet. So we have to sort of wait. The engines, you know, they're getting hotter. And by the time we're about to start, you were lucky to be on four cylinders. Flag would drop. And away you go. And I was nicknamed one of the, the roughest boxing man in championship uh I, I was one it was like him i was i was ruthless because if anybody gave you an inch you'd take a mile ford had enter the top rally man in a, a ford escort and we had lots of trouble with the mud on the windscreens 
but and escort would start and fly on stones at you and you were lucky to have a windscreen at the end of it but i was lucky on this occasion <clears throat> and to pass him what he was doing the normal rally sort of way they flick the steering one way and then the other way and to, to get it to go around a corner so he got his wheel right out sticking right out as i overtook him so i took his wheel off and uh, <laughs> the ammunition lot said john he said better go home now <laughs> that fords were not happy at all and this rally man top rally man was was very very unhappy but then we had um, Florida, Florida. I know I've come to Florida somehow because it was one of the best times I've ever had. And I was doing a four-hour race with Paddy and a Mini and I think six-hours or 12-hour race in MGB with a top rally cap from Finland. And you have still got what we are losing fast in this country. You had majorists dancing in front of us before the start. It took all the drama, all the fear, all the danger away from you as a racing driver into, wow, pretty girls dancing in front of you. It was absolute bliss. And in this country, they decided that to have a pretty girl in front of a racing car is, is, is oh, it's not on. It's, it's, it's looking down upon, you know, girls. Well, the girl thoroughly enjoyed it. The men thoroughly enjoyed it. The girls were paying lots of money to do it. And yet they doubt that somewhere along the line, in Britain, oh dear, no, we can't have pretty girls. So you at least are doing what should be right. And we had a ball. We, we won the class with both the cars. But one thing I shouldn't tell you, because for wife's here, is there was a very pretty girl, loved racing drivers, so I pretended there wasn't one. And so I, I was invited into a, you know, and she got a beautiful, huge red V8. And what I amazed me to start off with, the steering wheel moved when she opened the door. So you can probably know what sort of car it was. She gave me an, a huge tour roundabout and we finished up in the, a, a yacht club living like lords and then she delivered me back to our humble mo hotel so if there's a little old lady in florida is she's looking at this <laughs> will you thank her very very much <laughs> Full I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow, incredible. Now, the most exciting race, I have to 
show my age because it was in Goodwood in 1999. I was 78. Amongst the best drivers everywhere, I won the driver of the day trophy, which, wow, that sort of uh, took my breath away a little. But then you asked um, the most memorable. Well, that had to be Le Mans, because I stood in, on a circle then, and you'd run to the car to, to begin the race. Now, there were hundreds of thousands of, of spectators. It was alive with noise, and goodness said what? With one minute to go, you could hear a sparrow. It was frightening. It was so quiet. And I remember that even more than running across the road to jump into the car. The sheer silence until everything just went absolutely crazy. Wow. What car did you race at Le Mans? The um, Healy. Okay, the Healy. It was Healy. Special little Healy built, you know, for the occasion. Now you say, what is the relationship of, with me with John Cooper? It, it, was, it was fantastic. He was a family man, very much so, with uh, my wife and then my, my little boy and his little boy then. So I respected him. He had charm, concern, as I say, one, two, and the third, you could be out of his team. A raconteur of stories that would have you absolutely in hysterics. And a couple of them were about aeroplanes. He wanted to fly here and there to be easier than driving all the time. He got his license. And a friend of his was an airline pilot. So he said, John, he said, I'll come with you. He said, and show you the ropes. So John felt a little bit unconcerned. Because coming into land, he thought, he's going a bit fast. And he dropped it in as if it was a 20-ton sort of easy jet took off the undercarriage and almost destroyed the airplane. That was one occasion. <laughs> then he was flew to Le Mans, parked in a queue of aeroplanes at the end of the queue, and finished the meeting to collect his aeroplane. And the petrol bowser had gone up the each way of the aeroplanes, turned the corner too sharp and took the tail off his aeroplane. So that was another story that could last. John Cooper would make it last for half an hour. So, wow. And then, of course, he was full of mischief. Jack and Chaps, I wasn't with him on, on this occasion. <clears throat> chaps, he said, bring some wire wool with you. So the yeah, it's got wire wool in their pockets. 
They're walking past this very tall statue of some noble saint. As he said, under the armpits. <laughs> under the armpits of this statue and walked very richly away. But that was John Cooper. Fantastic chap. Uh, that's awesome. All right. We'll come back to qualifying for Formula One. This sure. Cooper was quite old. So I was really up against it. The other Cooper had no chance at all, never never qualified. But I did at least put up a bit of a show because when the car eventually stopped, I'd done a, quite a, a long part of the race, there was a huge cheer from people and applause, which I thought was absolutely excellent. So although it didn't actually work, it did hold me again in in the magazine, Autosport magazine. Right. Now, you probably want to ask me about Paddy later on. You can ask me as many questions as you like now, but at the end, I can... Uh, my story is about Paddy at the end, if you wish. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we usually do, I do a, a little segment at the end that I named the Patty probe and it's, it's just a, you know, some fun questions about minis, but because you actually know Patty, I thought it would be good to, um, you know, maybe hear a couple stories and you raced with him a few times. Um, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm, I'm loving the stories so far. So whatever you have about Patty and, and you, we can kind of end on that. You know, one of the questions that I ask is, who would you have uh, a coffee, tea, or beer with, you know, uh, a famous mini celeb or whatever? And a lot of people say Patty. Um, so let's hear your stories with Patty since you've you've raced with him, actually. There are so many. I, I wish I can't remember. But you see, we had Uber team had to prepare six cars for the British racing also the european so they had six cars to prepare whereas we were up against guys with one car specialist knowledge really fantastic drivers so we never had it easier easy at all um i i do wish i brought a record of the drivers I was I was up against, but they were pretty good. John Fitzpatrick was one, and he went on to be a star in all sorts of other cars. But uh, he was racing for a team called Broad Speed, and uh, their the, the preparation was such that when they had prepared an engine. Or John Fitz Fitzpatrick, they would get a mechanic to drive it up and down the M1, the motorway, uh, for a 
couple of hundred miles, take the head off, clean the, the head, and that engine was absolutely spot on. Wow. So we were up against that sort of many. I mean, we had, we, they were, there were dozens of them. The, 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 you know, the works mini team were up against, well, probably 20, 30 cars of all sorts. Wow. So to, to, to retain their prestige, I think it was absolutely exceptional for John Cooper. He deserved his reputation for preparation and dedication. Mm-hmm. Now, Paddy, um, the banter, of course, brandy drivers and racing drivers, it's a different breed. There's no doubt about it. We're different. And the banter goes like, oh, all you racing drivers do is drive around in circles. And the racing driver said, well, we have better things to do at night. <laughs> now, you go first, John. This was a race at uh, the Nürburgring. And... I shot off and did what I normally did on the left-hand corner, pulled in smoke, and I got spectators everywhere. I shot off, as Paddy said, go go first. I didn't even think cold tyres. I went into my favourite corner, absolutely straight on. Nothing happened at all. It just went flying through the barriers, down a 20-foot drop, destroyed the car. So I'm sorry, Paddy, and it was a fast car, but Paddy was stuck to the pub. Now, Paddy, being Irish, couldn't half drink a lot. And, in fact, one day I had a, a tape recorder and taped him at his peak. And it's difficult enough to understand an Irishman in full flow. But after many, many drinks being taped, we thought it was Japanese. (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) Now he became very famous, Paddy, very um, the rallying took him right up to the top. I am always a li- little bit peeved that John Cooper, with his 26 races a year, we won everything, never got a look in at all. From the, you know, generally. A Monte Carlo rally win, one win, but put Paddy as a star for life. Right. And he became president of a club that I'm proud of, the BRDC, because it's a British racing driver's car club and you can't join. You have to be invited. And John Cooper invited me into that club. And Paddy, of course, was chairman towards the end of his days. 
and we'd have a lovely dinner, wonderful dinner. And we'd see him as all out. And he'd say, yeah, I hope we haven't uh, poisoned you all, you know, on the way out. In his jolly way, that was Paddy through and through. Just to kind of piggyback off of the the Monte Carlo thing, um, was was the Monte Carlo race like kind of the end all be all for racers at the time? Is that why it, it, it kind of boosted his fame? And like regular kind of street uh, circuit kind of driving wasn't as popular then, or or is that just something that just it was a magical time for the mini to beat these other rally cars? Well, the Monte Carlo rally is the top mm-hmm. rally. You know, if you win the Monte Carlo rally, you are someone. Right. And Paddy achieved this. And I went to see him at the, uh, there was a theatre, a big theatre in London, and they pushed his car onto the stage. Enormous applause. The whole country. It was like a big football match. You know, some winning a championship. People went absolutely crazy. And this is rallying really has more of an audience than racing does. Even in Formula One, it's come up a lot. And at the moment, you are enjoying some very, very good racing. That is why... I support Red Bull with a, an orange wash watch, red trousers, uh, and a bicycle with covered in sort of uh, Red Bull paraphernalia. So I still sign it. to break it to you. I, I'm a Mercedes fan, so we might we might have to agree to disagree. <laughs> I know, of course. I mean, Lewis has had this is where again there's a business about best car lewis had the best car yep. at his time brilliant driver now verstappen has the best car now but i think put them side by side as a guy that really drives like i did i was ruthless yeah such a nice guy yeah I I really am. Good friends. Super. Put me behind a steering wheel. And I never, ever got behind a steering wheel, ever, without I was going to win, ever. I never enjoyed. In fact, I'd like to put it into a phrase of how a racing driver is. It's like a Prosecco wine bottle. Inside is absolutely everything that's going on, your concern, you're uptight, you're really not enjoying anything at all until the cork comes out of that bottle and you're, you're away. You lost all the inhibition. You're away about to win that race. And when you've won it, it's like when you finish that bottle of Prosecco. It is absolute bliss. And that is when a racing driver enjoys his sport. 
Wow. Is that why they give you a bottle of champagne when you win a race? Part of it. I love it. You could never. Fantastic. I've never heard that. You could never drink and drive a racing car. I spent so many Christmases because one of the main races was at Brands Hatch. And if you could do well at Brands Hatch at Christmas, you were in the Autosport magazine. So you could not drink over Christmas. And also, when testing with the team manager, wherever you were, you'd arrive at nine o'clock in the morning, the cars would be ready for you to test. And it was the old system of first lap, second lap, timed in. That was went on all day long while they prepared and messed about with the car. One very hot day, we went down to a, a pub in Silverstone. Now, tree manager had a couple of pints, and I had a pint of shandy. Do you know, in the afternoon, my times were absolute rubbish just on a pint of January. So alcohol is wonderful. I enjoy it enormously, but you cannot be a racing driver and drink before, well before a race. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> well, John, this has been incredible we're uh going on you know an hour and 10 minutes here of amazing stories and i appreciate every second of it do you have anything else any final words that uh you let the people know just send a kiss to your wife and thank you for having me uh, thank you for joining me, everybody. If you don't know who Smoking John Rhodes is, I think a quick Google search, you'll recognize that picture, actually, I think that's hanging up on your wall above your right shoulder there. That's one of the first pictures I've seen of a mini, um, one of the famous ones, and uh, it was an honor and a pleasure and a joy to have you on, and I thank you guys, and I will catch everyone else on the next one.